First Thessalonians chapter three. Man, I'm uh, uh, watching that. Last week we had some snack crackle, snap crackle pop. Yeah, Bailey's, Bailey's giving me the, the finger eye thing where he's like, I'm watching you, boy. I'm watching you. So you just give me a signal if, it, if we can't, if I did something wrong and broke something, that would not be a surprise to anyone. So I just grab another thing and try to break that. Um, it, I, I really love this book. One of the things that stands out just immediately to me about this book and really about most of how Paul writes all of his letters is this deep love that he has for the local church. Like just a deep, sincere love for the local church. Like he really, actually, genuinely cares about them. And one of the things that makes the Thessalonian church different is that they seem to also actually really love him and really love each other. And I, uh, I, I wanted to just start this sermon by saying that the mark of a great church is love. That's, that's the mark. It's not good preaching. It's not good music. It's not good programs. The mark of a great church is love. The Apostle Paul loved them. They loved him. And they loved each other. And love overcomes everything. If you tell me something that love can't overcome, I'll tell you that you don't really yet understand what love is. Because love overcomes everything. Have you been offended by someone? Love will help you overcome the offense. Has someone hurt you? Love will help you overcome the feelings of bitterness and anger and frustration. Do you lack the capacity to continue on? Do you lack the strength to endure? Love will supply what's lacking. The church that has love has everything. The church that settles for less than love ends up with nothing. Don't believe me? You can flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at us. We're already cross-referencing. Good job, guys. We're doing it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is a pretty famous uh, passage of scripture. It was read at Jim and Pamela Halpert's wedding, I think. It's read at a lot of weddings. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Remember, of course, that Paul was, in fact, writing to a church, not a person, He says, if I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And in the book of Revelation, John the Revelator in chapter 2 of the book of Revelation, he wrote to the church in Ephesus. And he said this in chapter two, in verses one through five, well, Jesus is speaking to John. He says, write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name and have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, Jesus says, otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Jesus to the local church, if you don't have love, you don't have anything. And if you don't repent of not having love, then I'm going to remove your church. I'm just going to wipe it off. That's literally what it's all about. When Jesus gave the two great commandments, 
He said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, to love God and to love people. You can think of it like you have this perfect painting, but you need a nail to be able to hang it up and display it properly. In other words, you have this perfect law, but the perfect law cannot be perfectly obeyed or perfectly displayed without love. That was the point. The point was not to create mindless robots. The point was to create self-sacrificing lovers of God. That's the nature of love. So in verse 1, chapter 3, he says, therefore. And of course, every time we see a therefore, we look and see what it's. Yeah, let's go. Some of you are new. Okay, that's good. So now you just learned something. If you see a therefore, you stop and you look and see what it's there for. Therefore, uh, just a few verses before this in 17 through 20, Paul says, but as for us, brothers and sisters, after we were forced to leave you for a short time, in person, not in heart, we greatly desired and made every effort to return and see you face to face. So we wanted to come to you. Even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For who's our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. And since you're our glory and joy, and since I longed to come to you, and Satan wouldn't, since Satan wouldn't let me come to you, therefore, when we could stand it no longer, we thought it was better to be left alone in Athens. It was better to be left alone. This phrase was commonly used to describe mourners who were leaving someone at a funeral to be buried. Paul is he's saying, I thought it was better for me to be completely isolated, cut off, and die. To have these people leave me for death instead of leave me wondering whether or not you were okay, whether or not your faith was enduring. Paul had a hard life. There is no question he had a hard life. It is easy for us to sit back in our comfortable seats and in our comfortable lives and revere him and imagine him to be this great overcomer who never struggled and never doubted and never had anxiety and never had pain or problems. But the truth that we know about Paul is that he was mistreated, misrepresented, accused of all kinds of things, poor, that he was constantly beat up, that he was shipwrecked, that he always wondered whether or not he was going to die. He never had enough. He never did enough. He always wondered about the churches that he had planted, whether or not they were going to make it. He was persecuted. He was mistreated. He was abandoned. He suffered. He had a hard life. In addition to that, he walked everywhere he went and he made tents for a living. This is not an easy life. This is a laborious life that taxed him physically. It taxed him mentally. It taxed him spiritually. It taxed him emotionally. And sending a trusted member of his team was a sacrifice. Sending someone away who was with him. Because if you think about the job that he had to do, and you think about the trust that he had to put in the people around him to go with him, imagine if you were going to get a team of people together to go into the heart of Iran to preach the gospel, and from Iran into Syria to preach the gospel, and from Syria to Afghanistan to preach the gospel. On the frontier, on the cutting edge, in a dangerous place, to have so much love for a church that you planted that you would say, I've got to send one of these people that's with me. Because I don't, I don't know if you know this or not, but you are not going to get a lot of volunteers for that trip. 
especially when you tell them, we're just walking everywhere. We have no transportation. There are not going to be a lot of not going to be a lot of people that sign up to make that journey with you. And there weren't a lot of people who made the journeys with Paul. So sending someone, it was a great sacrifice. But that's the essence of love. You know this? this is, that's the essence of love. Sacrifice. John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. If you flip back over to the gospel of John, or if you just listen to me as I read it. This is my command, Jesus says. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Paul never asked for quid pro quos. Paul never said like, well, I'll do this for you guys, but then you have to do something for me. We got to make sure everything's equal. Paul never demanded equal treatment. He laid down his life. And the reason that Paul laid down his life is because he followed Jesus and Jesus laid down his life, which sort of makes me ask the question about who I follow and whether or not I'm laying down my life. Verses two through five. So we sent Timothy, our brother and God's coworker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you concerning your faith so that no one will be shaken by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. In fact, when we were with you, we told you in advance that we were going to experience affliction. And as you know, it happened for this reason. When I could no longer stand it, I also sent him to find out about your faith, fearing that the tempter had tempted you and that our labor might be for nothing. We sent Timothy. Sending has a cost, but keeping, when God says to send, has an even higher cost. The only thing that's more costly than obedience is disobedience. The only thing that's worse than obeying what God tells you to do is disobeying what God tells you to do. That's the only thing that's worse. It's so difficult to obey. I heard a pastor once say, well, he was preaching on Romans 12, 1 and 2, where it says, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. And he says, you know, the problem with a living sacrifice is that it wants to crawl off the altar when the fire starts to get hot. When it starts to get difficult to obey, that living sacrifice says, I should be staying alive. But the guy that we follow willingly went to his death. We've been, as a church, we've been through a season of sending. We're seven years old, and we've sent out four church plants, which is amazing. It's tremendous. And I, I really believe that we're entering a season like what Timothy was bringing to the Thessalonians, strengthening and encouraging concerning our faith. That's why Timothy was sent, to strengthen and to encourage. He wasn't sent to strengthen and encourage their talent. He wasn't sent to strengthen and encourage their giftedness. He wasn't sent to strengthen and encourage and stir up their passion or their uniqueness. Why? Because all of that stuff has to do with me. And faith has to do with God. And what we're trying to do is not put on display our own greatness, but the greatness of God. Because I've never saved anybody. I don't have the power to raise them from death to life. And I don't have the authority to forgive their sins. To strengthen and to encourage, to give sure footing, to give clear instruction, and to give the courage to keep on trying. 
because every one of us has a human experience. Every one of us has seasons of discouragement and seasons of doubt and seasons of anxiety and seasons of fear and seasons really where we just sort of like, nah, I just don't want to do anything. I'm not depressed. I'm not even sad. I just like, ugh. And what do we need? We need someone to exhort. We need someone to edify. We need someone to strengthen. We need someone to encourage. He says in verses three and four, we were appointed to this. You were appointed to this. That's like a super easy thing to say to people who are in the midst of a hard time. And it's a super difficult thing to believe when you're in the hard time. It's a super easy thing to say to someone else who's suffering, and it's a super difficult thing to believe when you're the one that's suffering. Like, we can look at the persecuted church that exists in the world today, people being imprisoned and martyred for their faith in the world today, and we can say, yes, that's God's plan for them, whereas God's plan for me is a comfortable middle-class life with a quality family sedan, it's very easy to sit on the sideline and observe someone else suffering. But it's in the midst of the suffering that you have a sweeter fellowship with Jesus, that you get to know him. So I wrote down a few things that I think are important for you to know, especially if you're in the middle of one of these kinds of moments in your life. Your life is not an accident. Your pain is not an accident. Your struggle is not an accident. Your life will be at times unfair and you will at times have to suffer more than others suffer. But can I tell you a secret? That's called the human experience and it's true for every single person in the room. When I was a youth pastor, I used to get together with other youth pastors and we would, uh, I don't know how else to say it other than make fun of like middle schoolers at youth camp that fell in love with another middle schooler at youth camp. It was like the most important relationship of their whole life. You can't imagine how much love they had for this other person. And I think his name is Steve. I'm not sure, maybe Tim. I don't remember for sure, but I love him. He's the one for me and I know it. And a youth pastor, buddy of mine, he once told me, he said, you have to remember though, like, cause if you belittle that, you have to remember that to the puppy, puppy love is love. So the experience that you're having may be more difficult in your eyes than the experience someone else is having. But in their eyes, the experience they are having is all they can handle. It's all they can bear. In other words, everyone's facing a hard battle. And everyone must remember that we are being conformed into the image of Jesus. We are being conformed into the image of the crucified and resurrected Jesus. And before the resurrection and glorification of Jesus came the crucifixion of Jesus. We can't be conformed into the image of Jesus without following the way of Jesus. We are conformed into his image as we follow him. Following him requires actually moving and going where he goes and experiencing what he experiences. It's said of uh, ancient rabbis that their Talmudim, their group of disciples, that they would be covered in the dust of their rabbi. It was a colloquial expression and it, it indicated that they're walking with him everywhere. So whatever he gets on himself, 
He gets it on his disciples as well. Whatever dust he walks into, he kicks up that dust around him, and his disciples experience that same dust with them, with him, excuse me. In Philippians in chapter 3, just a, a couple of books back, Philippians chapter 3, verses um, 10 and 11, Paul said this, my goal is to know him, to know Jesus. My goal is to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Can you imagine? My goal is to know Jesus. My goal is to have the fellowship of his sufferings and my goal is to be conformed to his death. That's what Paul's like, that's what I'm aiming my whole life at, is to know Jesus, to experience fellowship with him in the suffering, and to be conformed to his death. I can tell you this, the people who suffer with you are your people forever. They're your people forever. You go through a hard, hard thing, like you go through pain, you go through something that pushes you miles beyond anything you ever thought you could do and someone shows up and doesn't even have magic words or magic touch or the ability to change the circumstance. Someone is just present with you in that season of life and it doesn't matter what they do for the rest of their lives forever. You love them because they know you. They know you. Because they were with you in the suffering. They felt it with you. They experienced it with you. They went through it with you. That's what Paul's talking about. I want to know Jesus like that. To be conformed into the image of his death and to experience the fellowship of suffering like he experienced. That doesn't mean Paul was like, so what I'm going to do is gather up some disciples, talk them into betraying me, Get one of them to get like 30 pieces of silver and then make sure that there's this mock trial where I get crucified at the end of it. What he's saying is that the suffering that God brings into my life, I want to go through it the way that Jesus went through suffering. To understand, Paul says, to understand when you're suffering, when life is hard, when there's pain, you were appointed for this. Because either God is God and he is in control or he's something a lot less than God. And if God is God and he's in control and you're experiencing something, then the question is not whether or not you're going to go through it. The question is whether it's going to shape you more into the likeness of Jesus. And can I tell you, if you're suffering, be like Jesus when he was suffering Remember what he did? He gathered up his friends. He's like, will you, will you pray with me? Will you stay with me? Will you just be present with me? And by the way, if someone's suffering, be a better friend to them than Jesus' friends were to him because they showed up and took a nap and then one of them chopped a dude's ear off. So don't be better than they were. Don't you think Paul had to wonder sometimes like you wonder and like I wonder? Um, hey God, where are you? Why aren't you doing something? I love the Thessalonians. I'm just trying to go back to the church that you made me start and love them and encourage them and make sure they're established in their faith. Why won't you let me do this thing? Why are you letting Satan hinder me? 
You're more powerful than Satan. Can't you overcome Satan? I'm trying to do a good thing, and you won't let me do this good thing. Without the hard times, without Satan being permitted to hinder him, we don't have this book of the Bible. You know why? Because Paul doesn't have to write to them. He just goes to them. Now, it's true that you aren't going to be writing the Bible. That's, that's done. This is a closed thing. We're not adding to it. We're not taking away from it. But it's also true that God doesn't love Paul more than God loves you. God doesn't love Paul more than God loves you. So you can trust this simple truth. Every pain, every hard thing, it has a purpose. The purpose is always the same, to conform you into the image of Jesus. You can be confident of this, Paul told the church in Philippi. He who began a good work in you is faithful. He's faithful. He's not reckless. He's not hurtful. He's not vindictive. He's not unpredictable as far as how he's going to treat you. He's going to love you, and he's going to conform you into the image of Jesus. Verses 6 through 8. But now Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news about your faith and love. He reported that you always have good memories of us and that you long to see us as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we were encouraged about you through your faith. For now we live if you stand firm in the Lord. Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news about your faith and love. If you want to place this in the book of Acts, it's Acts chapter 18, verse 5. If you flip over to Acts 18, 5, here's what Paul says. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word and testified, that the Jew, uh, excuse, testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. This is the moment in Acts when Timothy comes back and is like, everything's good to go. In Thessalonica, everybody's awesome. When they think about you, they have fond memories. I can tell you as a pastor who has left churches that some of the churches I've left, I think, have fond memories of me. And some of the churches that I've left have, some of the people have less than fond memories about me. And even still to this day, those thoughts still roll through my head sometimes. It's a great, it's a great thing when a pastor loves his church and when a church loves the pastors. It's a great thing. It's such a gift in both directions. And it so often happens in both directions that it breaks and it doesn't work. And I'm so glad to be in a church family that loves me and that I love. The pastor's greatest desire should be the same as Paul's greatest desire for the church, that they have a strong and encouraged faith. This morning... Uh, at the end of the service, we're going to get to uh, introduce some new members and celebrate that. And I want you to know that m membership matters. Membership matters. Part of what we're seeing here is this mutuality of love, this commitment to go through it together, to continue loving, encouraging, strengthening, and establishing the faith that we're going to move through it together. 
Our lives as members of a church together, our lives are tied together. Our spiritual journeys are tied together. The pastors of this church, myself and Josh and Stephen, the Bible says that we stand as men who will one day give an account to God for the souls of the people that are part of this church family. It's an unbelievable responsibility that no one can bear. No one is sufficient for the task that lays ahead of us. We're establishing here a family where the beauty of Jesus' love and the transformative power of the gospel are put on display and are proclaimed to the community around us. I think of it sometimes uh, like Artisan Bakery. I wore my Artisan shirt today. I really like Artisan Bakery downtown. If you have another bakery that you like or whatever, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not trying to like convert anyone to Artisan. I don't care if you like it or don't like it. But I like it. And when I go past it, like when I walk around downtown, one of the things I like is I like that you can see the windows, like you go through the windows. So you look inside and it's just like warm and inviting. On a day like today, I didn't go to Artisan today, but I would go to Artisan today. Like it's cold outside. You can look inside and you're like, oh, that coffee looks really good. The pastry looks pretty good. The oatmeal looks really good. It's the weekend, so the biscuits and gravy looks dangerously good. And everybody seems to be having so much fun in there. It's like they all know each other. Like it's an interesting experience at Artisan. You're there and you see all this cross-pollination where people just start talking to each other across different tables. And then the door opens and like the smells start hitting you and the sounds start hitting you. And you're like, oh, the coffee smells even better than it looks. I want to be in there. Membership in a local church should make a watching world feel that way. Something's happening in there. I get like a weird resonance, Bailey. Thanks. Something's happening in there. I want to be part of it. I want to be inside. I want to go in there. The way that we love one another it's meant to be a proclamation of the gospel. It's meant to be a visible demonstration of the gospel, of the power that Jesus has to transform people. It's not meant to be a picture of perfection. You know why? Nobody can relate to that. None of your friends or family who don't know the Lord can look at a perfect church and say, yeah, I fit in there. But when they see people who will love and forgive each other past the pain and past the offense... That's when we find the power. That's when we find the witness. That's when we find the winsomeness of membership having an effect on people. Jesus himself said, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples, by the way that you love one another. The love that we share for one another, the love that we share for one another is the clearest evidence that we belong to Jesus. That's important for us to sit with for a moment. That's important for us to remind each other of. That's important when we don't feel very loving. That's important when we feel deeply offended. That's important always. And we both and all need to keep reminding each other just how important that is. Verses 9 and 10. 
Paul says, how can we thank God for you in return for all the joy we experience before our God because of you as we pray very earnestly night and day to see you face to face and to complete what's lacking in your faith. How in the world could we ever thank God enough for you? You guys are amazing. The experience that we've had with you, the love that we've felt with you, the love that we feel for you and all in all and all the important thing he says is because we want to see your faith completed love for one another can begin with enjoyment it can begin with i enjoy this other person but love moves past enjoyment and a gospel love says what matters most to me is that i'm helping you grow in your faith i'm helping you become a follower of jesus that's what real love does and that's what real love is We're called to something better, something deeper, something greater. The same thing that Paul felt called to, to complete what's lacking in your faith. And I want you to understand that that's the job of a pastor, but it's also the job of a member. Because when you look at the Bible and you see like qualifications for an elder, that's just the qualifications for a follower of Jesus for the most part. It's, it's not like only if you're an elder should you be above reproach or well thought of by outsiders or just married to one person and faithful in that. It's all of us sharing responsibility together not to stir up passion, not to inflame our emotions, not to cause us to rise up and push forward our own giftedness, but to say to each other, the goal is to complete our faith, that we would be a people of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We are justified by faith alone. And maybe you're like me, and what came to your mind was when Paul told Timothy to stir up, to fan and aflame the gift of God. But then you have to remember that in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, he said that we're saved by grace through faith and that's not from yourself. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works, so nobody gets to brag. Like the whole point of all of it is faith. The whole point of all of it is not that we put on display the greatness of our own church. When you join this church, when you become part of the membership, the purpose is not that you can brag about being a member or think that somehow that makes you better off with God than you were before. The point is that we walk together and we help each other complete what's lacking in our faith. One step at a time, one moment at a time. And then when we don't respond well to that or we don't do it well or we offend each other or we stumble in the process, you know what we do? We just supply the medicine of the gospel. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I forgive you. And as long as those three phrases are on our lips as a family, nothing can ever tear us apart. I mean, I guess if you move, then I'll write you a letter and I'll be like, I'm so encouraged by your faith and I long to see you face to face. I'll just, I'll just rip some of the lines right out of the Bible because I really do love you. And I really do want our church to be about this one thing, Making much of Jesus, not making much of ourselves. Deeply committed to the idea that Jesus changes people's lives. That every person should get to experience the kind of love that we get to experience here. Every person's not going to want to be here. That's okay with me. We don't have enough seats for them anyway. 
but that everyone would get to experience a family that will help them complete what's lacking in their faith. And that every person would get the joy of helping someone else grow in their faith. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you get to participate in both directions, serving others and being served by others. That's the joy of a family. And yes, when my kids were like one and two years old, their efforts at helping do the dishes weren't always all that helpful, but we did it together as a family. It was still good. And we still learned about how to have joy in the midst of a chore. We still learned from them. Every one of us has something to offer. Every one of us has something to receive. Every one of us has a responsibility to see Jesus lifted high. Let's move into our time of response. Sometimes I say, let's pray together, and then I just keep on preaching. So I want to invite you to begin listening to the Holy Spirit. And to understand, I'm going to walk you through some of the ways that we respond. And at some point in this dialogue, I will pray. And if you'd like to close your eyes and begin talking to God now and start ignoring me, that's fine with me. If you'd like to keep listening to me, that's also fine with me. I want to just make sure that you understand that Jesus doesn't want to be part of your life. Jesus doesn't want to be most of your life. And Jesus doesn't want to be the main thing in your life. Jesus wants to be your life. He wants everything about you to be oriented around him and his mission to see a lost world won back to God. Everything in your life. The overwhelming majority of you will not be called into vocational ministry like me with the title pastor, but every single one of us that's a follower of Jesus is called into vocational ministry. It's just some of us teach, some of us are lawyers, and some of us are stay-at-home moms, and so on and so on and so on. But every single one of us has a purpose in this life, and the purpose is not the fulfillment of all your dreams and desires. The purpose is to bring glory to God to make much of Jesus. We're a family together. We have a great family and we're in a good season. And the way that we make that good season great is by continuing to love each other, continuing to encourage and establish one another in the faith. To keep pressing on to know the Lord. We respond in several ways. We take the Lord's Supper together. Those elements are available on the table, the hospitality area. The very night that Jesus was betrayed was when he instituted the Lord's Supper. He took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. In the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of a new covenant in my blood as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim my death until I come back. What he was saying is, followers of Jesus, what he's saying is this. Every time you do this, you're reminding yourself and you're telling everyone around you, I was made right with God by the body and blood of Jesus alone. It's not my goodness. 
It's not because I'm a member. It's not because my grandma was a Christian or my parents were Christians or because I vote a certain way or was born in a certain place. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. As you take the Lord's Supper this morning, remind yourself of that. Remember what makes you right. It's Jesus. Think about what he did for you to make you right. We also give. You can do that online through our website, redhill.church. You can text to give, or you can drop a check in the offering box that's over there. God doesn't need your money, but his mission needs it. When you give, you support church planters right here in our own area. You support missionaries all over the world, and you support our own efforts to see this community one to Jesus. I don't have any idea what you give. I don't want to know what you give. But it's not true to say that I don't care whether or not you give because I want everything in everyone's life to be brought under the authority of Jesus Christ. I want God's will to be done on earth the same way that it's done in heaven. And whatever God lays on your heart to give, I want you to give it with great joy. If what's laid on your heart is to give half of a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich because that's what you've got, then you give it and know that God is pleased. And it's actually in the Bible that one time with part of a meal, he did a pretty cool thing. You don't know what God's gonna do with what you put in his hands. But it's pretty safe to say that he's not gonna do a whole lot with the things that we don't put in his hands. We sing and maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I just don't feel like singing. Can I tell you, we sing because we believe or we sing until we believe. So sometimes singing is just a way of preaching to yourself, reminding yourself what's really true about God, what's really true about you, what's really true about the human experience, what's really true about your life and your sufferings and your pain and your hopes, what's really true about his promises. It's important that you listen. I'll be available in the back to pray with anyone who'd like to pray. If you have a decision that you wanna make, you can note that on a connection card and drop it in the offering box before you leave it there. You can come back and talk to me about it. If you got something going on, you just want me to pray for you, I'd love to be able to do it. I'm gonna pray for us now and then we'll continue. God, thank you for loving us. The foundation of our whole experience with you, the genesis of it all is love. How great a love you have lavished on us that we should be called your children. And that's what we are. Broken and messed up and hurting and hurting others. But we're your children and you love us. That's the only way we even know what love is because you love us. You demonstrated your love for us by sending Jesus to die for us. You showed that you have the greatest love, not just by laying down your life for your friends, but by laying down your life for your enemies. You told us the primacy of love. Without it, we have nothing. You told us the significance of the love of love in the local church. 
Without it, there's no point in having one. And God, we pray that this morning you would stir up our love for you, that you would stir up our love for one another, that it wouldn't be something that's vain and empty, but something that has real traction in our lives because many are going through a hard time and they just need someone to love them. And many of us are lonely, needing not so much to be loved by others, but to know that in the midst of that, we can love someone else. Would you rescue us from isolation and self-pity? Would you allow us to know you and the fellowship of your sufferings to be conformed into your death and to attain resurrection. We are your church, Jesus. We're here for you.